every July here at the church, we kind of do something that is very not normal for how we normally operate on Sunday morning. You learn kind of church patterns, and anybody will tell you that July is the lowest attended month of the year for churches. People are traveling. It's summertime. Um, people are just not in the routine of the church. The kids are out of school, and it's kind of a crazy time. And so kind of what you know if you attend church in July is it's normally your core group of people. And we make no bones about the fact around here that we do church for those that don't do church. So 11 months out of the year, normally when we're putting series together and teaching themes together and we're praying through what God would have us to talk about and we're talking about what we want to communicate from the Bible, we always start with, will this connect with an unchurched person, a person who doesn't know church lingo, who doesn't know the secret handshake that isn't found in most churches, that doesn't know the language of most churches? Is it going to be something that is taught on a level with biblical truth that they understand? But every July, we do what I refer to as an insider series. Because again, we know that it's going to be our core family here. It's going to be our core group of people. And it's just kind of a time that every year we can hit the reset button. As we're coming out of the summer and attendance starts to pick up in the fall, we can make sure that we're all on that same page. And I've been thinking a lot about our church lately, and I've been thinking a lot about the people who make up our church, and I've been thinking about the strengths of our church. And I always tell people, we don't have a lot of strengths. We're not the prettiest church. No offense. We don't have the most educated pastor. We don't have the fanciest building. We don't do a lot of programs around here. Matter of fact, we do zero programs around here. We meet on Sunday, and we serve our community the rest of the time. But one thing that we do really, really, really well around here is we do life together really, really well. There's no fakeness in the relationships around here. This is a group of people, and probably one of the, I've said this for about five years now, one of the things that I enjoy the most is when I'm on social media, and I see the people of Action Church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, after church on Sunday, and they're tagging each other in their posts because they've been off doing life together during the week. This church is not something where a group of people just gather together on Sunday mornings and they do their duty, and they go back out and act like nothing has changed them during the week. They don't come together and act like they're friends on Sunday and not do life together through the week. And dare I say that Action Church, in a very true sense of the word, is a family in the purest form. And family is one of those words that we hear often. And there's a lot of different ideas about family, and they're not wrong. A lot of people believe family is blood. Those that you're born with, whether it's your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, you're born into family. And obviously that's true. You're born into your family. You don't get to choose your family. You're born into that family. And for some people, this type of family is very powerful. Simply because you're related to someone, because your aunt's sister's uncle's cousin had a kid and your three cousins removed, you're family with that person. I have never subscribed to that philosophy. If you have, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I, I've just never necessarily understood it. Just because you're my blood doesn't mean I have to like you. I, I always think to myself, man, if I wasn't, this wasn't my sister or this wasn't my brother or this wasn't my uncle, would I like this person and choose to do life with them? 
And so many times the answer is no. And so I'm not one of those people, my, my wife actually will tell you, she says, you're very messed up when it comes to family because she was raised in a family that is very tight and they're very cohesive and family is very important to them. And, and, and I used to think she was wrong and she used to think I was wrong. And we've just learned that neither one of us are right or wrong. We just have different philosophies on what family is. But there's a lot of people that didn't grow up in that tight unit. I didn't grow up in that type of a family where everybody was united and they did family reunions together and all of that stuff. I didn't grow up in an environment like that. And if you begin to study out family, you'll realize there's family, and you don't choose your family, you're born into your family. But dare I say there's something called La Familia that's a little bit different than that. You're not born in to that family. You choose to be part of that family. It's a deeper word than family. It's a different word than family. Dare I say it even has a more powerful meaning than just family. La Familia is the family that you choose to do life with. It's the people who are in your life and you look back and you realize this is my tribe, this is my crowd, this is my group, this is my La Familia, and we have decided for better or for worse, through thick and through thin, through the mountaintops and the valleys, we're in this together. This is the group, dare I say, that you're like, man, I look at that group and I say, man, I'll take a bullet for that group. And La Familia is powerful as long as you put the work in to make it powerful. Just like anything in life, La Familia takes work. If it was easy to do, everyone would have that type of bond. If it was easy to be part of, everyone would experience the power and the joy and the, the, uh, the laughter, the connectiveness, dare I say, of La Familia, but it takes work. There's actually a code that goes to La Familia. And I asked recently on Facebook, I said, what is the one word that comes to your mind when you think of La Familia? And I think it ended up with like 400-something responses. And it was mind-boggling to me. I knew this one would be towards the top. I already had it picked out to talk about as a subject. But of the 437 responses, 262, over 50% of those responses were one word that was the most important to them when it came to La Familia, and that's the word loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty is just one of those words that we hear a lot, we throw around a lot, but I'm not quite sure we grasp the meaning of that word. <laughs> the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, obviously, this is when God looked down at Adam and he created Eve. But the context is God never created us as humans to do life alone. We were never made to go through the adventure of life, the obstacles of life, the heartaches of life, the highs of life, and the lows of life, and the good times and the bad times of life. We were not created to do life alone. We were created 
for relationships. And inside of every single person, even those who call themselves loners, is a deep desire to have some type of relationship in their life, to do life with other people, to know that there's somebody there for you and that you're there for somebody. I've often said this and I've joked about it. I said, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I mean, you can't get more solo one-man show than the Lone Ranger. It's his freaking name. I'm the Lone Ranger. I do life by myself. I don't need a team. He said, man, I'm a, his name screams one-man wolf pack. And even he had Tonto because he knew he couldn't accomplish what God needed him to accomplish. He couldn't accomplish his purpose alone. You've got to have La Familia in your life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 2 are better than one. People say all the time, I don't understand the Bible. It's just very deep and I don't make a lot of sense to me. So let me explain this to you. Two tacos are better than one taco. Two shots of bourbon are better than one shot of bourbon. Two are better than one. If you have one, it's better to have two because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If the, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Pity anyone who goes through life and goes through a hard time, goes through a difficult time, goes through a time of tribulation, goes through a time of trial, and you have to go through that alone. It's miserable. It's hard. Dare I say it's almost impossible. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can keep one keep warm alone. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's power in connection. There's power in community. There's power in doing life together. And here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to get back to this at the end of the message. We're at a stage that if we're ever going to fully fulfill the purpose God has for this church, it better understand the power of La Familia, and it better understand the code of loyalty. The code of loyalty. Loyalty is one of those things, again, that we throw out a lot, and I'm not sure that we completely understand. I'm not talking about blind loyalty today. I'm not talking about someone who's going down the wrong path, who's doing something unbiblical, and you're just loyal to them. But what I am talking about today is having the back of those that we do life with, standing with those people tell me all the time. They say, man, you just like yes men around you. No, 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 I don't like just yes men around me. Privately, I want people to give me all the feedback they want to give me. I want them to tell me how crazy my ideas are and how insane they are. Now, listen, I do want a yes, man. I don't ever want someone to come to me and tell me something can't be done. You've heard me use my illustration before. If I go to my group and I go to my La Familia and I tell them, hey, I want to land a 747 in this parking lot, don't tell me it can't be done because it can be done. 
Now, you can look at me and say, now, here's what it's going to take. You're probably going to have to buy 100 acres around here. You're going to have to go, is it the FAA or the FCC or whatever it is, the airplane people, and you're going to have to spend millions upon millions of dollars to get approval. You're going to have to build a runway, blah, 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 long story short. To land an airplane out here is probably going to cost you $250 million. Cool. So you're saying it can be done. Don't tell me it can't be done. But loyalty privately means we'll stand up to you, we'll give you feedback, we'll, we'll give you honest criticism, we'll encourage you. But publicly, I got your back. Publicly, I'm going to war with you. Publicly, we're family. And I might yell at you, and I might fight with you, but nobody else is going to fight with you. I read a quote this week, and it said, Don't tell me what other people say about me. Tell me why they're so comfortable coming to you and saying it. Because we don't have loyalty anymore. They feel comfortable enough to come to you and plant seeds of doubt. And one thing that you'll see as you study out the early church, you'll see they were a unified bunch. They were a loyal bunch. They had each other's back in every day and time. And we live in a day and time where loyalty sounds really good to talk about, but it's kind of a non-existent thing. It's a thing that used to be lived out. It's a thing that's thrown around today, but there's very little loyalty anymore. But matter of fact, how, would, how many of you would say disloyalty, whether it's with family members, friends, co-workers, disloyalty is a major problem in our world today? Raise your hands, raise your hands, raise your hands. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Disloyalty is a major problem today. You don't think disloyalty is a major problem, babe? Shoot your hand up. I want to see. I just want to know you're tracking with me today. You can put your hands down. So almost 100% of you, with the exception of my wife, so 99.9% of you, say disloyalty is a major problem. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you would say you're a loyal person? You're a loyal person. Raise your hands, raise your hands. Raise your hands. You're a loyal person. 100% of you. So do you see the problem with the sermon? A hundred percent of us think disloyalty is a problem. Yet a hundred percent of us think we're not part of the problem. Disloyalty is a problem, but I'm loyal. Makes it kind of hard to bring a message. So it's weird. I'm preaching a message to a group of people who don't need it. Because we all agree disloyalty is a problem, but everybody here is loyal. <laughs> see, here's the first point today. Disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. Disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. We want loyalty... We expect loyalty. We leave La Familia. We leave friendships. We leave circles over disloyalty. 
But we rarely see the disloyalty in ourselves. (laughs) Hey, I'm loyal to you, but if I'm not loyal to you, it's because you deserved it and you pushed me to my limits. See, we justify our disloyalty. (laughs) You pushed me to my limits I'm not loyal to you anymore, but God forbid you're not loyal to me. God forbid you tell me I push you to your limits. See, so there's this weird tension when it comes to loyalty. I've never taught on this before, so it might not even make sense today. I scoured the internet for sermons on loyalty and couldn't find any. Yet the Bible talks so much about it. There's so many examples of it. Because there's this weird spiritual tension when it comes to loyalty. We know there's a problem with disloyalty, but all of us think we're loyal. We justify when we're disloyal, but God forbid anybody's disloyal to us. It's just a weird thing today. So it's probably going to be one of those messages that don't make a lot of sense, but I'm hoping as you're confused throughout the message, I tie it all together at the end. I can tell you all the people who've been disloyal to me in my life, But I can give you an excuse for everyone I've been disloyal to. Really what it boils down to for so many of us is we don't fully grasp La Familia. We don't grasp the power of family. We don't grasp the power of connections. We don't understand there's power in a united group of people who are driven for the same cause. And when we don't understand that, we allow our selfish agendas to get in the way. We allow our preferences to get in the way. We allow our wants to override what's best for the family to get in the way. And it causes disloyalty in our life. We're loyal at the end of the day when it benefits us. At the end of the day, all of us say we're loyal, but the reality is when it boils down to it, when the rubber hits the road, when it's time to call a spade a spade, at the end of the day, the only person we're really loyal to is ourselves. That's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to choke that down. But it's so true. If you looked in the New Testament, probably the most loyal person that you could ever find is a dude named Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples who hung out with Jesus. And dude was loyal. Wherever Jesus went, Peter was there. When when Jesus was on his highest of highs, Peter was there. When Jesus was going through his lowest of lows, Peter, when they came to take Jesus to put him on trial to crucify him, Peter pulls out a sword and he chops off one of the soldier's ears. That's loyalty. I like to think if someone came to attack me, Jeff, who hangs out with me on Sunday mornings, would chop their ear off. But I don't know if he would. I like to think he would. He might shoot them, but to me, shooting them is easy compared to chopping the ear off. That just sends a message, you know? Bad. (laughs) Peter was like, over and over and over, I'm your man. When everyone lets you down, Jesus, 
I'm your ride or die. I'll never let you down. I'm loyal to you. Look what he said in Matthew 26. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night. So Peter's sitting there, he's like, hey, when all these other jabronis fall away, it's you and me, JC. I got you. I'm going to get to this in a minute. It's easy to talk about loyalty. It's hard to live it out. Mm. Truly, I say to you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus said, yeah, you're talking that talk, but I'm telling you, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up tonight, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny that you even knew me. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. All the other disciples looked at Peter, and they said the same thing. I mean, Peter right here is throwing out some big-time promises, and he's noticing the disloyalty in everyone else. Hey, if Matthew can't hang, I got you. If John can't hang, I got you. If this guy can't hang, I got you. And that guy can't hang, I got you. No matter what anyone else does, Jesus, I'm your guy. I got you. And Jesus looks at him and says, tonight, you'll deny me. Tonight, you'll deny me. And sure enough, three times, the rooster, or three times, someone came up to Peter and said, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? Hey, weren't you always traveling with Jesus? And three times, Peter, when it came down to watching out for number one, said, I don't know him. Who's Jesus? I know a guy named Jesus, but I don't know a guy named Jesus. That must have me confused. No, that guy must have just looked like me. That was rolling with Jesus. Three ask, three denials. And on the third denial, the rooster crows, and Peter's reminded, Matthew 26, verse 75, then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept. Disloyalty is hard to see in ourselves. So we need to remember that as we're judging those or we're angry at those that we deem have been disloyal because the problem with loyalty so many times it means different things to different people. We've all been disloyal at times. We've all stumbled in our loyalty at times. So I want to give you some principles today to kind of get us on the same track about loyalty. The first one is this. True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. Peter said it over and over. Hey, when everybody else walks away from you, when everyone else denies you, when the rest of these guys can't live up to the standard I've set, I'll still be there for you. And the minute it got tense, the minute it got hard, the minute they took Jesus into captivity and they were looking to take the rest of the disciples into captivity, that loyalty didn't go too far. I was reading something recently. I think I shared with you this a couple weeks ago. I was reading something about great gangs and motorcycle gang or motorcycle clubs and mafia and ISIS and, and street gangs. 
And they made a statement that I thought was very staggering. Here's these groups of people who live by a code. And one of the codes is loyalty. And one of the codes is having each other's back. And no matter what, being there for the other person. They said every organization, every criminal organization that has ever been brought down. Listen, everyone, 100% has been brought down by somebody on the inside. They found somebody who, when they were faced with life in prison, suddenly wasn't so loyal. When they found someone who, who was, knew that they were going to have to take the fall for the actions of somebody else, the loyalty wasn't always there. So we're quick to judge loyalty. We're quick to shout out loyalty. But true loyalty is proven over time, not proclaimed. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, May a man, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. The Bible says a lot of people will say they have unfailing love for you. A lot of people will say they have their back for you. A lot of people will come along and say, man, I'm ride or die. I'm with you. But at the end of the day, who can really find someone who's truly reliable? I love the story in the um, New Testament that Jesus comes along and he kills, t- uh, kills, back that up. I've been watching too much mafia movies this week. He comes along and he heals ten lepers. These guys had skin diseases and he heals them. Ten of them had their lives radically changed by Jesus. And only one came back to thank him. Ten people walked away healed. And nine went about their lives like it was no big deal. It's so easy to get in that mindset because so many people will say they're loyal to you. Man, I was in this place recently where I was like, I will never help another addict again. I'll never help another alcoholic again. I'll never help another drunk again. I'll never help anybody struggling with a hurt habit and hang up again. Because every single time that I help them, it might take three months, it might take three years. The crowd that you end up helping is the crowd that ends up stabbing you in your back. And I was in a bitter and angry place. Until the first time one of them reached out to me for help. And I got the message, hey, can we talk? I'd like to talk to you. And everything in my flesh wanted to be like, can you shoot a digital bird back to somebody? Turns out you can. (laughs) But I didn't. Sent him a message, give me a call. They called me, I was on the phone with them about 45 minutes. And as I'm walking this person through, at first my guard was up and I was angry. And I thought to myself, this person's never done anything to me. Why am I making this person suffer for the disloyal people? And that little devil over here was like, ain't done anything to you yet. And I thought, this morning I'm sitting in my office and I get a message. When are you going to be at the church? I said, I'm here now. I'd like to come in and talk with you. And I don't meet with people on Sunday mornings. I got to preach. But this person... I could tell over the last few months hadn't been themselves. And I, I thought, man, are they going through something? I knew they had struggled with some things. And I said, come on down. And I sat in my office with them for about 30 minutes. 
and they're struggling, and they're going through some hard times, and in the midst of their hard times, they're kicking tail at fighting their addiction. And as I left that meeting, I thought, what if I'd have been that person who said, you know what, I can't live my life worrying about people. I can't live my life helping people because everybody I help hurts me. Now, will this person ever hurt me? I, I hope not. But I'm not responsible for what they do. I'm not responsible for their loyalty. I'm responsible for my loyalty. I'm not responsible for their actions. I'm responsible for my actions. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. So the problem with loyalty is we're loyal if you're loyal. That's not how loyalty works. And loyalty's not proclaimed, it's proven. We've got to learn as followers of Christ, not just to talk the talk, because let me tell you something, the church is the worst about talking the talk. The church will talk about how we'll be there for you, we'll walk you through it, until you mess up and then the church abandons you. The church, it's the only army that shoots its own. But yeah, we talk about loyalty, we don't understand loyalty. We like to talk about loyalty because it sounds cool. Loyalty's proven, not proclaimed. I was reading this week, I googled greatest stories of loyalty ever. And I came across this story in 1947. There was a baseball player named Jackie Robinson. We all know who Jackie Robinson is. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American ball player to ever be in Major League Baseball. He, he, he transcended the racial barriers at that time. And he was, um, if, I, if I remember correctly, he was a second baseman. And one of his best friends on the team was Pee Wee Reese, who was a shortstop on the same team, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they say, you can't fathom the abuse that Jackie Robinson took. Continual death threats. He had to have police surround him everywhere he went. Death threats from his own teammates. Because he was a black man in what they deemed a white man's world. And they said there was just one time he showed up, I think it was his second game playing, and he showed up in Cincinnati to play the Cincinnati Reds, and people went crazy. They were throwing stuff on the field, calling him names. It got so bad that they almost had to cancel the game. It got so dangerous as these people were screaming and hollering at Jackie Robinson. And none of his teammates did anything. They stood there. Except for Pee Wee Reese, the shortstop. They said Pee Wee Reese took his glove off and he laid it on the ground. And he walked over to second base and he didn't say anything. And he put his arms around Jackie Robinson. And he stood there while everything was being thrown. While everything was being shouted. And they said within 30 seconds there was a deathly silence over the stadium. Everything stopped being thrown. And he stood there while all the groundskeepers cleaned up the field. And he looked at the ref and said, are we ready to start the game again? And the rest of the game, nobody threw anything. Nobody said anything. His actions proved his loyalty, not his words. It was easy to say, yeah, I don't have a problem with Jackie Robinson to the newspaper before the game. But none of the other teammates, when it came time to stand with him and prove the loyalty, wanted to stand with him crowd went completely silent and Jackie Robinson later said at the end of his career he said that one gesture literally he believed saved his life the picture made all the newspapers around the country it became was actually a statue that's been erected of that picture 
one person proving their loyalty. (laughs) It's easy to talk about loyalty. Matter of fact, I dare say the more people say they're loyal, the less loyal they are. I'm a loyal person. Prove it. A loyal person doesn't need to go around saying they're loyal. Their actions prove they're loyal. I want to show you from the Bible one of my favorite stories. And there's a lot of famous stories of loyalty. There's a lot of famous stories as they pertain to David and loyalty. David and Jonathan, and we'll get to that in a little bit, was a powerful thing of story. But I want to show you one that maybe you've never seen before. It was a loyalty between a soldier, a commander, and a king, King David. Let me give you the context here. David had a son. His son's name was Absalom. It was his third son. His son committed a horrible crime and ended up murdering a guy. And he went on the run for his life. Absalom's on the run, the king's son, because he didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of his actions. About three years later, Absalom comes back with an army to overthrow his dad. Hey, there's a lesson there for you too, by the way, when you don't discipline your children the proper way. Had David handled Absalom when Absalom needed to be handled, he wouldn't have had to deal with them three years later. Some of you are still dealing with your grown-up children because you never handled your children when they were kids, but that's a different story for a different day. Sometimes the Bible just preaches itself. David had been faithful to him and protected him while he was on the run. And now Absalom comes back, raided taking on his own father. And so now Absalom's army is so strong that King David is on the run to save his own life. And there was a guy by the name of Ittai, and Ittai showed up on the scene, and Ittai was basically a mercenary. He was a bad dude that had a bad army, and he had no loyalty to anybody. He just went to the highest bidder. He had no loyalty to anybody until he met David. He had no skin in this game. He didn't know David. He didn't know Absalom. But he met David and something moved him in David. Something he saw in David. He said, man, I want to be loyal to this guy. And he volunteered to fight instantly on behalf of David. And the king said to Ittai the Gittai, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today I shall make you wander about with us when I do not know where we're going. Hittite came on the scene, and David's like, go back. You just got here yesterday. Listen, I appreciate you want to fight for me, but I don't even know where we're going. We're wandering around in the wilderness trying to get our bearings where we can go to war. Just go back. I don't want to bring you into this. (laughs) Go back and take your people with you, because he had 600 people that followed him. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Ittite replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever the Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. That's proving loyalty. He said, man, I'm not going back and taking the easy. David said, go back, man. You've, you've done enough. I don't want you to die and your men to die. I don't want you to have to deal with the consequences of my actions. You go back and I said, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you fight, I fight. If you live, I live. If you die, I die. That's proving 
loyalty. I love the book of Ruth, and Ruth's husband dies, and she follows her mother-in-law back to her home, and she goes, wherever you go, I'll go, and where you die, I'll die, and where you're buried, I'll die. I'll be buried, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and be it ever so severely if anything separates us. It's easy to talk about loyalty, but it's hard to prove loyalty. Hittite stands and he fights with David. They get a victory. They defeat Absalom. He goes on. We'll see in later chapters that David puts him as one of his top three commanders. Hittite becomes commander over one-third of David's troops. (laughs) Man, there's power and loyalty, but it's proven, not proclaimed. I just want people who are loyal, quit listening to them say their loyalty and find out who's there for you in your darkest hour. Find out who's the person that you know you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're on the side of the road with a flat tire. Who's the person that you know no matter what you've done or what you've said or what mistake you made, you're going to go to and they're going to be like, you're a freaking idiot, man, but I love you. I literally have four people in my life. Four. Four. Out of the thousands of people I've pastored, four. Out of the thousands of people that I've helped, four. Out of the hundreds of people I've literally drug out of crack houses, helped them with their marriages, helped them when they didn't have food to put on their table, I have four men in my life who were in my life 15 years ago. So what does that mean? Well, 10 years ago, I blew my life up. And only four of them are still around. Four. One of them's retired in Florida, did mine and Christine's wedding. One of them's a pastor in Orlando who just stepped down from his church to start a nonprofit. One of them I see every single day of my life where I go to work. And one of them's an older guy in Alabama who I've met face-to-face one time ever. We have an online relationship. Met him in a pastor's chat room 15 years ago. Four. I would have told you 10 years ago that people would move to hell and gone to hell and back for me. But when everything imploded, I would have told you I had a staff that would take a bullet from me. No, 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 no. Not when their paycheck was on the line. And I'm not dogging, I'm just simply giving you facts. Loyalty's a rare thing. Now, I have people nowadays that I feel are that way in my life, and I'm just telling you, I got four that have been there for 15 years. I don't think there's anything I could do, and they'll tell me quick I'm an idiot. They'll tell me quick they don't approve. They'll jump my crap so quick. They'll tell me what I'm doing is messing up my life. They're not yes men. We mistake a yes man for a loyal man. But they'll also tell you, man, I'm loyal. I'm your friend no matter what stupid things you do. Man. True loyalty comes from God's loyalty to me. The reason so many of us don't understand loyalty, we have a perverted sense of what loyalty is. We have a misconception about what loyalty is because we don't understand how loyal God is to us 
The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Notice that. We love because he first loved us. God doesn't love us because we love him. God loves us because. God loves us because he chooses to love us. God doesn't love us because of anything we've done for him. We love because we've experienced his love, but his love came with no strings attached. His love doesn't come because we live a certain way or we act a certain way or because we never mess up. He just loves. <laughs> Second Timothy 2 says, if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. God's loyal to us. You can't walk away from God. Because God just walked away from God. God didn't walk away. He's where he's always been. God doesn't love you because you do X, Y, and Z. God loves you because he loves you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. We don't have an understanding of the love of God. And if we had a true understanding of the love of God and we could try to love like God loved, we would understand what loyalty is. Loyalty comes no strings attached. No matter our faults, he loves us. No matter our messes, he loves us. No matter how bad we sin, and we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So just because you think your sins are better than someone else's sin, guess what, they're still sin. Ain't it funny? Can't believe that. And then someone else will look at you and say, I can't believe. We don't see the sin in our own life. We justify our sin. And we don't justify that it's okay. We justify that it's not quite as bad. I think I shared with you. Never mind, I don't even want to get into that. Um, did I share with you about the, the junkies and the shooting up thing? Okay. I sure I like that's always amazing to me. Like they justify they'll smoke it, but they look down on those that shoot it up, you know? Stupidest, craziest I've ever heard in my life. God never walks away from us. God never bails on us. God never turn. I just feel like God's turned his back on me. No, you're probably the one who's turned your back. I've been dealing with a whiny little punk on Facebook recently, in case you didn't know. And I can deal with it. But you know the one thing that flies all over me? Action church and everyone walked away from me. It flies all over me. Because I'm like, are you crazy? We're where we've always been. You walked away. You walked away. You say, you're airing dirty laundry. No, I'm just keeping it real with you. We're where we've always been. Because you know why? Someone said, you think you could ever forgive that person? Yep, I could. Do I think if we could ever have the same relationship again? Absolutely not, and don't want it. 
but I can forgive because I refuse to hold a grudge. I've screwed up. I've messed up. Who am I to judge that situation? But you know why I can do that? You know why I can do that? Not because I'm better than you. I'm just being honest. Because I've been the one who's walked away. I've been the one who lost everything when I was 33 years old and I was living in someone's basement and didn't know how I was going to pay my next bill or even where my next meal was going to come. I remember being so broke. Listen, this is crazy. I remember being so broke that I almost came to tears when Little Caesars opened up because I knew I could get a pizza for $5 and I could eat on it for two days. That's how broke I was. I was so broke I had to go to KFC to lick other people's fingers. And, I, and what's crazy is in the midst of all that, God was never more real in my life than at that time. I, I guess I got lucky, I don't know. I could sense it in every sense of the word. I never got mad at God. I've been mad at God before I'm talking about during that situation. I never blamed God. I knew that God was with me through the whole thing. I knew that I had upset him, but he loved me. I knew God was not done with me. And when you realize that God's loyal to you in that way, it's easy to be loyal to other people. Thank God for his loyalty. God is our standard. Now, here's what happens every time I say that. Well, we're not God. Nope, you're not. And you won't ever be. Someone asked me today, they said, how do I become whole? I said, you'll never be whole. Man, not on this side. It's constant. We die daily. It's a struggle every day. But just because we will never be like God and we're not God does not mean God is not our standard. I am not your standard. Yeah, no joke. Thank God. Heard a preacher get up one time. And I knew what he was saying. I knew what he was saying. He said, man, every day I get up, and he goes, I've idolized and I've mentored and I've read everything that, that Billy Graham has written, and I want to live to his standard. I got what he was saying. As great of a godly man as Billy Graham was, and man, there's been a lot of big-time preachers come along. One that never had scandal was Billy Graham. Billy Graham's not the standard. That pastor fell about six years later. Huge financial issues, embezzling money, all kinds of stuff. And I remember going and taking him to dinner and saying, man, what happened? He didn't even know I was there that day he gave that speech, but I guess he gave that speech a lot. And he said, man, God wasn't my standard. I laughed and said, yeah, Billy Graham was. He said, how did you know that? I said, I heard you say it, you idiot. He goes, I didn't even mean it in a bad way. I said, I know you didn't. God is our, is our standard. God is our mentor. God is our example. He's not going to ask us to do something he isn't willing to do, and God's proven his loyalty to us. So how can we not give our loyalty to other people? Don't miss this. True loyalty isn't earned. It's given. Next week, I'm going to talk about the, another characteristic of La Familia, another subject I never talked about. I'm going to talk about honor. There's an interesting dynamic between honor and respect. They're two different things. I'm going to talk to you about it next week. Respect is earned. Honor is just given. Loyalty isn't earned. It's given. 
This is contrary to what we're taught in our society. We're taught you earn loyalty, but you don't. You give loyalty. You find something or someone you believe in, and you choose to be loyal to it. One of the 14 leadership traits that the Marine Corps teaches is loyalty. They've scanned and said, man, these are one of the 14 leadership traits that a person needs to be a Marine to be successful. And they know loyalty is one of those 14. They know you've got to go into battle. You better be loyal to the person next to you. When you're going into battle, you need to know the person next to you is loyal to you. Even if you screw up on the front line, they're going to get you out of there. You've heard me talk about firemen accountability before. And they say when firemen go into a burning house, I'm going to say it again, I think it's such an awesome story. When firemen go in, they always go in by twos. So I go in with this guy, and I screw up and make a bad decision that endangers our life. Guess what the other person's responsible for? They're accountable for me. They're not accountable to me. They're accountable for me. Even if I mess up, their job's to grab me and get me out of that burning house. Now, when they get me out of that burning house, they can chew me out. They can tell me what an idiot I am. They can tell me that I'm reckless and I'm dangerous and that they're never going back in with me. But once they get into the fire with me, they're responsible for me. When the log falls down on me and I'm pinned under and under fire, they're out saying, you stupid idiot, I told you that wasn't the time. No, they get me out of there. Loyalty is given. You choose. In 2 Samuel, we see the story of David, and we see the story of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Saul was the king. David was going to be the next king. Saul is trying to kill David. Jonathan would have been the next king after Saul. But instead, David's going to be the next king. (laughs) Somehow, Saul and Jonathan meet. And Jonathan knows that David's supposed to be the next king. He doesn't get jealous that he's not going to be the next king. He doesn't side with his dad, who's his blood. He chooses to be loyal to David. He fed David information. He, the Bible says he made a covenant with David. They had a bond, a loyalty. We tend to be loyal when something is in it for us, but that's not loyalty because there was nothing in it for Jonathan. It was betraying his dad. He was giving up his spot as the king, but he chose to give loyalty. You choose to be loyal to someone. Listen to me, and I'm going to wrap this up. Life cannot be won without loyalty. Loyalty is the glue that holds La Familia together. The early church understood this. The early church changed the world. In Acts chapter 2, we see the formation of the early church. We see 3,000 people saved that day. Over the next 60 days, we see 120,000 people come to know Christ and the message of Jesus spread to the point that we're here today. There's never been a movement like the movement of the early church. (coughs) They were persecuted. They were chased. Their families left them over their following Christ. 
But they understood La Familia, and they understood loyalty. They devoted themselves, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, having a meal together, sharing, doing life together. They devoted themselves. They knew that loyalty took work. They put the work in, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 43, uh, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So great things are being done. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So here they are, man. They're united. They're being persecuted, but they come together. They're, to, they're, they're, they're praying together. They're eating meals together. They're hanging out together, and they were together, and they had everything in common. They were united together in loyalty. They sold their property. They sold their possessions, not to be a cult, not to move to an island and drink Kool-Aid, not to go buy some land in the mountains because there's a spaceship coming one day. They sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was loyalty. They saw that people in the family were hurting and they had something they could do to help them. They helped them. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You grab about church once a week, they met every day. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were loyal to each other. They were united to each other. And don't miss this. And the Lord added daily, added to their number daily those who were being saved. You don't think there's power in loyalty? You don't think there's power in unity? You don't think there's power in having your brother's back? You don't think there's power going to the gates of hell with someone who's hurting and doing whatever it can to drag them back, even if it's their own fault? You don't think there's power in being a unified group who's loyal together? This group was loyal, and the Lord added to their number daily. You want to see this church do what it's supposed to do in this community? I didn't say that means be the biggest church in this community. I said, do you want to see this church do what it's supposed to do in this community, which is change this community? And I believe this church is changing this community. I had someone introduce me the other day to someone. I said, this is Gary Lamb. He's the pastor of Action Church. And I said, how you doing, boy? And then the guy said, I didn't ask him. He said, he goes, I don't do church. He goes, matter of fact, I don't like, he was in government in our town. He said, matter of fact, I don't like church because they get their property tax exempt and we could use the tax dollars. I'm like, where's he going with this? He said, but if one church in this town was to close down, he goes, if every church in this town was to close down, this one would be the one our community would miss. I was like, dang, that's cool. And then not even knowing what I was preaching on. He said, Gary's a mess, but they're a loyal bunch. There's power in loyalty. We just have an improper view of what loyalty is. So my question to you today is, how are you doing in the loyalty area? Can people come to you knowing that you're going to be loyal to them no matter what their mess is? Do you choose to be loyal when it doesn't benefit you? 